Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And I have a co-host with me today. It's very exciting. I've been, we've actually made attempts to get this person uh, for well, it's been well over a year that like we had a prior opportunity. I don't know if what? he knows this, but there was a, there was an offer. was like, oh, maybe I, we can get this guy. This. Uh, it didn't work out then. So I'm thrilled to have it working now. He has put characters to screen that have made many, many an individual feel seen. Um, you might have seen any one of one through three in the franchise of Tales from the Hood. Uh, he has a new movie coming out called 57 Seconds. Maybe you've seen some of his uh, episodes of Creep Show that he's directed. Uh, also a history and stand-up comedian and comedy working on The Chappelle Show as well and, and doing stand-up independently. Rusty Cundiff, welcome to the show. Is there anything else that people need to know about you before we get started today? <laughs> I think I've learned something myself. <laughs> That's fine. Thank you. Well, I guess uh, I guess the thing to start with, like obviously uh, the, the work of Jordan Peele sort of opened a new segment of people's eyes to the way in which I think horror and comedy exist in conversation with one another. And I don't mean that from like a horror comedy position. I mean it from a sense of like structurally, we had this guy come in and make movies like Get Out, Nope, Us, and, you know, charging on full steam ahead into a incredible rich and storied career coming from making things like uh, Key and Peel sketches. And I remember like the initial sort of like balking at like, oh, like, but he's the comedy guy. He's the funny guy. But structurally, <laughs> right. horror and comedy have so much in common in how they build up and release for audiences. And I guess I just wanted to talk to you about your relationship with those two mediums in terms of like the structural similarities of those two or where you have found them in conversation as a technician in, in entertainment. Yes, a creative, but also a technician building these stories and characters. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely horror and comedy. Um, they share a lot of similarities in construction, basically, you know, just from what you said, you take premises, you kind of go from the premise to a bigger idea, you're leading people down a path and then you surprise them with something at the end of mm -hmm. the road. You know, you take them on a little, on a little tour where we either are expecting one thing and we get something else, or we don't know what to mm -hmm. expect, but we know we're going to get something, which is more of the horror mm -hmm. model. Whereas the get something that you don't expect kind of plays more to the comedy uh, side of things. But Basically, you're still taking people on a path. You're doing a little bit of uh, manipulation. You look over here while we're doing something over here. And um, and then there's that moment, uh, either either a a bigger moment, if you know you're you're talking about your third act, mm -hmm. or the smaller moments that lead up to your third act, which are these kind of little beats that go throughout. Um, any type of story, really, but mm -hmm. uh, are are more present, more obvious in comedy and in horror because the reaction is much bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, you see people watching a drama, they're just kind of sitting there staring. But when you watch people uh, while they view a film that's a comedy or, or, a, or a TV show that's mm -hmm. a comedy or a horror situation there's a a much stronger visceral reaction and and you know a vocal reaction too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you have worked you've spanned 
so many kinds of storytelling across your career. You you started out in like mockumentary with Fear of a Black Hat. And obviously right. we touched on the stand-up comedy. And you've obviously made horror films. You've even dabbled a bit in Christmas films. A New Diva's Christmas Carol, Christmas in Harmony. And now you're coming out with 57 Seconds. I wanted to talk about... Like, before we get into the character aspect of it, I did just sort of want to touch on the breadth of what you've done and and staying stimulated as somebody in this industry where, like, you can hear a lot of no. You can hear a lot of no in Hollywood and get turned away a lot. But, like, <laughs> pursuing true. a lot of different kinds of challenges and keeping your keeping your knives sharp in a lot of different ways is something I'm interested in hearing about, like, for in purposes of, like, longevity and, like, having an enduring career like yours. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, it, there's pluses and minuses to uh, my my career, I guess you could say. Sure. Um, but, you know, generally when you start out in the business, entertainment, broadly speaking, be it as a writer, a director, and in some ways, even a, uh, as a performer, as an actor, people will try to pigeonhole you, which may or may not be a, a good or bad thing, depending. Um, if you can become known for a very particular thing, that is how many people become, you know, multimillionaires and big stars. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you go to them, you go to Stephen King for a very particular thing. You're not looking for him to write a story of, you know, a romantic holiday at the beach. Mm -hmm. you, you'll be waiting to be uh, terrorized in, mm -hmm. some in some way. Um, and, and so there's a, a positive uh, aspect to doing one thing really really well mm -hmm. uh then there's you know weirdos like me who <laughs> kind of do um i've always liked a lot of different things i don't know that i i i started out saying i'm gonna do a bunch of different things mm -hmm. um but for me it's more just kind of like the stories uh i try to find something in in any story that i do irregardless of the genre that connects to me and kind of the things that I'm, I'm interested in. So mm -hmm. for instance, you know, uh, fear of a black hat tales from the hood. Um, some of the other things I've done, they all have kind of these social socio-political kind of connections or themat thematics uh, that kind of go through them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's other things that I've done the Christmas movie with me. Sure. Example which you kind of go okay well you know what's interesting to me in this because this is something that i haven't written if i had written it there would have you know i don't know santa claus would have been a democrat and mm -hmm. there would have been all kind of weird things going on <laughs> but um uh but i'm doing i'm now I'm taking on a story that somebody else is kind of birthed mm -hmm. uh so then it's it's more like oh how you know what what in this kind of speaks to me because if if you can't find some kernel that you're excited about it's really hard to it's really hard to do the work film the filmmaking process though it sounds glamorous and seems fun it is fun mm -hmm. but it's a it's a it can be a hard schlong mm -hmm. um depending on a lot of circumstances from environmental to the people that you're working with to the amount of money that you have mm -hmm. to the amount of days that you have and and so on and so forth so you kind of have to find something that goes, well, I, I want to get up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. <laughs> or I, I want to go to sleep at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. and then, you know, work all night, whatever that is. Um, 
so for me in, in those smaller types of stories, mm -hmm. uh, I try and find things, you know, this is going to sound corny because this is what you should always do, mm -hmm. but it's the relationships that you kind of, you kind of are playing around with there. And then you kind of have to, um, I almost approach it like I would approach acting. It's like, Oh, what about this story speaks to anything that's mm -hmm. happened in my life. So that as I talk to my actors, I'm, talking to them about something that's coming from an honest place and they may have a different perspective on it and we'll, we'll figure that out. But sure. it, it, you know, I, I try to understand uh, the script, the story and the, the characters kind of like from a personal standpoint. So it grounds me in a way. And then, like I said, and the other things that you know, I write on my own that are kind of like have other themes that are very important to me. Those are in some ways easier in some ways harder mm -hmm because um they're more precious to you and your your heart breaks more when things don't go the way you want them to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's actually the relationships aspect of of what you just brought up that I want to bring take us toward our central question of the character okay. that you connected to because the the movie that you picked is very much a, a movie of relationships. It's it's sort of this slice of life story. Tell us yeah. who you brought to discuss today. Uh so um there is a movie called uh, Cooley High that I saw when I was in high school. And um, the character's name is Preach. He was um, portrayed by uh, Glenn Turman. I wrote a poem for you. Nigga, I know you don't like poetry, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. <sighs> I ain't never read my poetry for nobody, not even my mama. Let's see if they and he was best friends with uh, uh, the character's name was Cochise, who was Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, this was written by, uh, I think it was met, written by Monty Ross, if I'm not mistaken. It uh, was, I, I believe, Eric Monty, Eric Monty, Eric, screenplay. Eric Monty Ross, you're right. And, and he also uh, was one of the uh, writer creators, I think, uh, on Good Times. Mm, okay. So, which when this came out, I don't think it was out yet. It was either good times or it might've been what's happening now or both. I don't know. <laughs> check your, <laughs> check we your will own, fact uh, check this. resources. Yeah. Yes. We will fact but, check this, but, but, but one of those or all of them mm -hmm. perhaps. Um, I think it was, uh, I don't know that I've ever felt like a connection. Like I had to think about it for a minute when uh, um, I, I found out I would be talking to mm -hmm. you. Uh, I was like, I don't know that anybody's made me feel seen. So I had to really think about it, but I had to go all the way back to high school. Preach was this uh, kid in high school with Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. And it is this kind of slice of life coming of age story of these two guys that kind of hang out and just have fun and get into trouble. But why I connected with Preach was he was a writer. Now, I can't say that in high school, I knew that I would be doing what I'm doing now, sure. writing, directing, and telling stories. But I told stories then. Mm -hmm. I would write little stories that I didn't, I wasn't trying to do anything with them. And I don't even know why I did them. Mm -hmm. But I was very interested in storytelling and, you know, that sort of thing. And I wore glasses, preach wore glasses. <laughs> um, I was a bit of a nerd. Preach was the nerd. Mm -hmm. Coach East was the cool guy. I had cool friends, but I didn't think that I was that cool. <laughs> um, I was kind of a nerdy guy. And um, 
So I, I just connected with him in a lot of ways. I mean, he was in high school. He was, you know, trying to uh, attract women. I was, he was clumsy. I was clumsy. Yeah, he's um, so, he has, Preach has no game really to speak of. No, not really. Nor Until did he I. starts being himself. <laughs> like when he's kind of posturing, right. he has nothing to give. Like he's just, he's very uncomfortable. It's kind of like get away. From, but like once he starts being himself with the with the one girl he really does have eyes for, Brenda, it's right. it's it's like you it was so satisfying finally seeing that character sort of soften into a real guy when mm-hmm. he really finds that like he can connect with Brenda on like an emotional level because they're interested in the same things like poetry and it was right. like I'm waiting to not want to slap preach across the face right now and that finally <laughs> got me over the line with him Ah, it's brownie yeah I like sonnets from the Portuguese uh, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Yeah, this is dynamite. You like poetry? Oh, yeah, this is pretty. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, girl. But if you really like love poetry, you ought to check out a dude called Walter Benton. <laughs> he got this poem called, uh, Where I Pygmalion or God, I would make you exactly as you are in every dimension. From your warm hair to your intimate toes, would you be holy in your own image? I would change nothing, add, but take away. Yeah, that's dynamite. <laughs> and that poem fits you too, you know? Yeah, it really fits you. Yeah, I'm gonna give you that. As soon as I steal a copy. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, so so your your memories are a little fresher than mine because I I didn't I haven't watched it in you know a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. I just uh, a couple of weeks ago during the writer strike, I, I ran into Michael Schultz who directed it. Oh and wow! I, I see him from time to time, and I'm always like, uh, "Cooley, I." You know, he's directed <laughs> a lot of things, but uh, you know that that movie just kind of spoke to me in a lot of different ways um and you know the fact at the end and like i said you know i this this may have been a kernel somewhere in the way in the back of my head i like doing plays i like kind of like writing and stuff but at the end of the movie where they said preach goes off to hollywood and mm-hmm. he wrote a script i was i was like oh that's so cool and <laughs> but it kind of became my journey um so you know kind of a uh yeah, it, 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 there's there's a lot of that character that I kind of uh, uh, relate to. Well, this is, I mean, this movie is in, the, Cooley High is in the Criterion Collection. Like, this movie, it, it is venerated. And it is, I, I mean, I obviously wasn't there in 1970s. But did you, like, <laughs> it feels like, you know, the way we look at black cinema at the time, it feels like the sort of explosion of the sort of signature cinema around that time would have been black exploitation films. And this movie comes out through American International Pictures, which is known for its Roger Corman outfit in movies like I Was a Teenage Werewolf. And then you have this like <laughs> right. tender, thoughtful, just kind of like slow cinema rollout of just these boys experiencing their lives in Chicago. And and um also um Eric Monty grew up uh in the Cabrini Green housing project made famous and infamous through Candyman so th- there's a right. lot of 
layers of significance to Cooley High as a piece of cinema. At the time, were you just watching it being like, these guys remind me of my guys, and I feel like one of these guys? Or were you like, this kind of feels like something special? You know, it's, you know... (sighs) Yes. To If I go back and look at it through the lens of me, then I'm just at the movies. Yeah, going, man. This is me. This mm-hmm. is I, I totally relate to even though it's, you know, still even at that time, of course, Cooley High was set in Eric Monty's teenage years, mm-hmm. his high school years. So, you know what? Maybe that was 10 or 15 years past. I'm not sure. But, you know, those uh, the relationships, the characters what the what was important to them which of was you know what i was going through at the moment and uh it, it once again it's like not one of those things that i i i think i picked up on then but when looking back on it you kind of go there wasn't a lot else like that true to co- to connect to um that i would say i would call it kind of like an honest representation it's like i knew those people and mm-hmm. and it, there there wasn't a sense of trying to make something necessarily bigger mm-hmm. any any of the events that happened in that film i could imagine or have seen right in some way you know there there was nothing that was so fantastical you're like well that's you know now we're into kind of hero crazy <laughs> territory which is where you know the black exploitation stuff mm-hmm kind of uh fell mm-hmm. and, and and even you know black comedies would were kind of like the few that there were 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 kind of big but um in how they presented things you know they were larger than life kind of things and this was just this just felt really real so yeah y'all gonna make me drop the wine man oh uh, man you just upset because you ain't going nowhere oh uh, man as soon as i get out i'm off like a big black bird to hollywood i'm gonna be a famous oh, writer man oh yeah. uh, nigga your ass ain't going no place for jail oh uh, how you know what kind of stuff gonna come from something like this and all of a sudden he gonna be a big time hollywood writer you crazy. Yeah, well, you can call me crazy when I come back with my first million. Man, you think somebody's gonna pay you a million dollars for that junk you write? Has anybody heard Preacher's Poetry? No, no, this is. <laughs> Your eyes are like limpid pools of eternity swallowing up my soul. <laughs> no, no, man, wait a minute. There's, there's more. Check this out. Uh, liquid dreams and vision of you beckon to my throbbing manhood. <laughs> <laughs> Copy that out of my notebook. <laughs> what you doing going in my notebook? <laughs> well, and I, I guess as somebody, okay, so whenever I get the chance, I like to talk about sort of the bursting palettes of cinema that were on offer in the 1990s. A, like a real like independent film, like a Sundance film it had like a sort mm-hmm. of rawness and an edginess to it. And they're just, I don't know, it seemed like there was a sort of a little bit more of a possible feeling about making something that could really truly be bootstraps that could wind its way up and, and actually like make a cultural impact as opposed to having to open on 3000 screens and make a hundred million dollars out of the gate to, to feel like it was deemed successful in like the kind of like, current landscape that we have now. And that, that's not every movie, but I wanted to talk to somebody who was there and, and putting out film in the 1990s of like, cause there is a blooming of black cinema in the 1970s. There's a different kind of it in the 1990s. And there is a, there is a sort of hood movie 
era. We have a lot of amazing black rom-coms at that time, several of which have been spotlighted on the show. And there are like black drama and crime films. Like it just kind of feels like it didn't have to be a black crime film to get made with something like Set It Off. It could just be a crime film uh, with mm-hmm. like a tremendous ensemble that would include all these fantastic actresses. Like, can you speak to the tone of sort of like making making films in the 90s and like maybe a, a sense of possibility that did or did not exist, does or does not exist now compared to then. Like, I just want to hear from somebody who was there. And if it seemed <laughs> well, like yes, there was, was possibility there. <laughs> or if that's just me having rose-colored glasses on the past for something that's like, well, ah, the grass is always greener. No, I mean, it, it was uh, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time. I, you know, my initial um, participation in kind of 90s black independent cinema or indie cinema at Mm. all was as an actor. So, you know, Hollywood Shuffle with Robert Townsend. Who makes a tiny appearance in Cooley High. You can see him ever so briefly in this movie. (laughs) He absolutely does because, yeah, he's from Chicago. Um, Yeah, uh, but, you know, working with Robert uh, on, on Hollywood Shuffle and then not long after Hollywood Shuffle, uh, being fortunate enough to have a small role in School Days mm-hmm. with Spike Lee. So I'm seeing two guys that are kind of just doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've obviously seen uh, Spike's She's Gotta Have It and and Joe's uh, Barbershop We Cut Heads and, um, and then working with Robert, going down to Atlanta, working with Spike. Mm. And really, those two guys... Um, and one other person, there was one other, well, there's a couple other people seeing John sales when I was at USC mm. was a huge, uh, influence. And you don't know some, I think sometimes you realize it's an influence. Sometimes you discover it was an influence later on. Yeah. So I had seen Sakaka seven while I was at SC and John sales came in and spoke and he talked about how he made his movie and how he had to, uh, you know, he knew what locations he had. He knew what actors he had. He wrote a story to service that. Yeah. And um, I'd forgotten about that. And then I'm working with Robert and I'm like, this is kind of the John Sales thing. And mm-hmm. then you hear, you read Spike's basic diary of, you know, she's got to have it and mm-hmm. everything. You got, oh, this is, this is kind of, this is a blueprint right here. Um, and so while I was on the soap opera, I was on a soap opera for a while as an actor on Days of Our Lives. And there was a, a an actor on the show there who would go into his dressing room and I'd hear this. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't think he's a writer on the show. What the hell is he doing in there? And I said, what are you doing in there? And he's uh, he said, oh, you know, I write plays. <laughs> I'm like, no, oh, I, I should go back to writing because I had written stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? And so um, I started writing as a way to one. I had ideas in my head Two as an actor and even as a comedian to a certain point, cause I was doing that, you, you have to have a stage mm-hmm. or you have to have someone say, okay, you could, Hey, you're allowed to act. Here's Come permission. Act. You can do yes. this. Yes. Uh, well, here's, here's a stage. Go up there and do something. So, but as a writer, you just write, you, you, you don't have to wait for anyone to say, mm-hmm. Hey, go ahead and write your story. Mm-hmm. You just have to have the desire to do it. So, I started, um, I kind of started writing because of all these different influences. And by the time I was doing uh, school days, I think I was already writing this 
kind of um uh what 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 did I call it? It was kind of like a black big chill. It mm-hmm. was, you know, very Sakaka seven, very big chill-ish about a group of friends hanging out. And that story eventually got me to uh House Party Two and working on House Party Two mm-hmm. um with New Line after uh Reggie and Warrington kind of stepped away from that because of their whatever was going on with them over there. Mm-hmm. And you know, you slowly start to kind of build a career out of that. But back to your kind of question about the 90s, um, there was this kind of um, sense that some dams had been broken open, mm-hmm. you know, between Spike and and Robert and, and things that started to come up after that. And then, you know, all of a sudden, then you have the Hughes brothers and then you have John Singleton and then mm-hmm. you have or, or, and and black directors that didn't necessarily do big black pride. You had uh, Carl Franklin mm-hmm. and you know guys like that 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 were doing you know uh, doing work. So there was this kind of push for things, and then there was a certain point where you know you become the kind of the flavor of the day or the year or whatever. I've read you and, talking about like the cyclical nature of the industry and like yeah. when you're in, you're in, and then. Uh, you were talking about it with horror, and I thought that was, I thought it was really, it was, I think it was an interview from earlier this year, you were talking about there's obviously been a wave of big interest in horror right now at a sort of broader mainstream level, and a lot of interest from studios putting money into it, but then you mentioned, and honestly feel like we're kind of coming to that place now, where like, that wave breaks on the shore, and then the water pulls out again, and it's a new wave that breaks, that, that that's coming in. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and it, you you can see it in just how you know how things happen and mm-hmm. and part of it is technology as well kind of influences it but i th- i think you're you kind of you're kind of seeing it with you know the 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 marvel big marvel type movies mm-hmm. now and you you know there's there's different types of waves now there's the we're going to do uh we're streaming, uh, but only 10 episodes. Yeah. You know, there's the wave of that. And then you hear, oh, well, we're not into just 10 anymore. Now we want, yeah. So these kind of, kind of things kind of come in and out. It, it, and it can be helpful. It allows, it does allow people to break through. You know, you've seen a lot of Asian content mm-hmm. um, break through over here. I'm yeah, talking yeah. about in the United States. It's always been there. Yeah, but. Course. <laughs> but you know people are discovering that more some of it i think thanks to streaming i know there's there's you know languages that i don't know that i watch a lot of film and tv in yeah. my wife is hooked on uh i don't know some some a couple of sh- shows that i i don't know what they're saying but yeah. she's really happy to watch it um and so I think technology is allowing allowing us to see different uh, the different ways mm-hmm. that various cultures tell stories. Mm-hmm. Because when I look at certain um, Asian horror or just how they tell stories in general, mm-hmm. I love how they use comedy and drama in the ways that most American storytellers don't. Yeah, there's a real there's a real genre blending comfort in like South Korean cinema, for example, where the like the combination right. of melodrama 
and comedy and horror put in like the Korean wave at the end of the 90s, like the way that that cinematic economy came to be at the early at the beginning of the 21st century. It was almost like, hey, guys, we're kind of starting fresh. So let's try a bunch of crazy ideas and not be worried about the limits or definitions of things. And it created like this amazing strain of just what cinema that can feel so boundless at times compared to I feel like what we're used to over here. Yeah, and and I think that is a more honest, a more honest representation of of, of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go through your life, you go to a funeral, but someone's going to tell a joke about the person that died. <laughs> yeah. You're going to laugh at it, you know. Um, and I think that that's something that I've picked up from watching cinema from you know around the world. Mm-hmm. It's just how people tell stories uh, that isn't the Hollywood structure, which can become formulaic Mm -hmm. to a fault sometimes. We're going to take a short break to hear from some of our other shows on the network. Then I'll be back with Rusty to talk more about his career and his affinity for Cooley High. After that, I will have one quick thing about extended drum roll, please. The fact that this is our 100th episode, you guys. We will be acknowledging that at the end of the show, so stick around for the love fest. I'm Ify Wadiway, the host of Maximum Film. I'm Alonzo Duralde, also the host of Maximum Film. And I'm Drea Clark, yet another host of Maximum Film. Every week, we host Huddle Up, usually with an illustrious guest, and we talk about films. We have film news. We have film quizzes. We answer your film questions. It's like the maximum amount of film talk. That's why we call it Maximum Maximum Film. Film. (laughs) Maximum Film, the movie podcast that's not just a bunch of straight white guys. New episodes weekly on MaximumFun.org. Oh my gosh, hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using Limerick, and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game, and brilliant guests who come play them. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave, so try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, Is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes! Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm thrilled to be talking to Rusty Cundiff, who, in addition to being a pivotal figure in the history of genre cinema, also directed most episodes of Chappelle's show in the early aughts. Let's get back to our conversation. You know, you mentioned, I, I've read you talk about it, like how there, and you mentioned here, like there's a strain of sort of like social awareness for a lot of the films that you've made. And, yeah. you know, sat to, I've read you talking about Fear of a Black Hat and you were like, if you, if you like hip hop, you, you'll like this. If you don't like hip-hop, you can find it funny. If you really love hip-hop, you will not like this movie. If you take it very seriously. Like, it's right. such a difficult line to toe to nail satire and have people be like, yeah, I'm funny, I'm engaged. Wait, there's something else going on here. And and obviously what's going on in, in very much in Tales from the Hood, <laughs> it's operating at that level. 
But I, I guess I wanted to hear from you from, you know, I feel like to layer messaging into one's films, I feel like there is an inevitable desire to convey a common experience where it's like, hey guys, we all know what's going on here, which is why I'm going to like send it up or put it in sort of like the hyperbolic lens of satire or genre. And I wanted to talk to you about like wanting to imbue your experience into your films or what experience that you felt was necessary to be shared in those forms of like sort of blown out cinema through comedy or through horror or through satire and why you felt like that is the milieu for, for you that works the best. Um, I, I, you know, I think in terms of satire, you know, looking back on a fear of a black hat, it, it's, I think satire, people who do satire uh, well, um, it's just their nature. It's, it's not, that's a good I point. Don't, yeah. I mean, I don't think you can uh, set out to be a satirist. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, like Armando Iannucci and and like Veep and and all that. Like that's just that's just where he's operating. I think so. You know, it, it because it's a it's a way of looking at the world. Mm. It's like, and I think it's you know it's like with comedians. You know, really good comedians are always they're needling something, they're poking fun at something, and satire is kind of that that same that same thing where you're you're looking at the world. Uh, slightly askew or or maybe you're seeing through uh bullshit that that other people aren't seeing through mm-hmm. um and and it's but it's a tricky it's a, tr- a tricky genre i mean you know there were i think as you were kind of alluding to there it's something that i probably said somewhere but you know there were people that would come up to me and say oh i love fear of a black hat because you hate rap as much as i do <laughs> yeah and yeah I'm like I, I don't hate rap at all. I actually <laughs> quite like it. Um, and then there were people who liked rap that really enjoy the movie. There were rappers that, you know, I ran into Easy e He mm-hmm. thought the movie was hilarious. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, when I was doing Chappelle's show and, you know, Dave was going through what he was going through. And, you know, we did all these crazy uh, um, different skits. But, you know, he was like, people would now come up to him on the street and start parodying characters that yeah. he said. And he wasn't really, you know, wasn't really feeling that. And I was, you know, it's like, yeah, man, you know, satire is like one of those things that people that are with you get it at one level. And people who you're satirizing um, just take it at face value yeah, you know yeah. it's like uh i when i was a kid there was a show called all in the family mm-hmm. uh, with archie bunker who was a, a misogynist homophobic yeah racist white guy and you know um his kind of uh progressive son uh son-in-law and daughter and his his wife who was kind of under his thumb for the most and you would watch it and you would laugh because you're supposed to be laughing at this guy yeah. because he's a racist asshole. But, you know, there are racist assholes in the world that are watching because they're like, well, that's my guy. Yeah, that's my guy. That's, that's Archie Bunker. I I, right. I feel seen by Archie I Bunker. I feel seen by Archie Bunker. And so the satire misses them. Yeah. And they enjoy it at a very different level. So satire is a really... It's a really tricky. Uh, it's a really tricky thing, um, uh, you know. And and 
when it's mass produced, when it goes out like a TV show or, you know, Chappelle show where it's accessed by so many people. Yeah. Uh, then you are going to hit some people that that uh, take it a, a very different way than is intended by the satirist. Well, you mentioned it. We, we obviously we're talking about Eric Monty with with Cooley High, and he got his start on All in the Family. Producer Marissa has let me know, and I've had this little note ah. sitting next to me for he then would go on to co-create and write uh, sitcoms such as, as you mentioned, Good Times, The Jeffersons, What's Happening, Eric Monty, a legend. Clearly, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, he he's he did quite a bit. Yeah, I forgot. I think I knew that that fact years ago that he was on. Um, that he, he started with uh, all in the family, but um, yeah, a, a really, you know, uh, a really great kind of uh, broke broke down some doors for those who followed. Well, and, and at that time, like when, when you go to see Cooley High in the theaters, is that like a kind of movie that you would typically go see or or was it just sort of like anything that was at the cinema we just popped in and went to? Was that was that a departure from the kind of movies you were most frequently watching or was that kind of right in line? And I was like, like, hey, it's it's a drama. It's a hangout. It's a hangout movie for the most part on a yeah, sort mean, of top level. It was... Um... I can't say that it was the kind of movie that I would just go and see because there wasn't anything else like that yeah. for me to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I was a cinema go. I mean, you know, when you're the, the years that I grew up, if you wanted to see a movie, this is what you did because um, there were no videotapes yet and yeah. all of that stuff. So you had to actually go out and, and sit in a theater someplace. But, you know, I, I we did the morning matinees. We did... Uh, the westerns we did uh, a lot of horror we did the drive-ins yeah. which was a lot of horror i can't <laughs> believe my parents took me to some of the movies that we actually saw there was you were constantly shocked that i mean you know because there there was there were horror movies and then there were very exploitative kinds of mm. you know horror movies and the billy jacks and all of that kind of stuff that you would end up uh, going to at the at the movie theater, and then there was all of the a thousand and one Bruce Lee movies, yeah, or or pretenders to be uh, great uh, martial arts films that you know I could. There there were days where you would stay in the cinema and just watch three of those things on a loop in a row, mm-hmm. and then you would come out and try to you know beat up everybody with bad martial art moves. <laughs> and you and your friends would fight for you know. 20 minutes and then, <laughs> then <get> a hot dog. <laughs> but uh yeah, it I would just ingest uh what whatever was kind of out there, you know, yeah. exorcist, um all sorts of things that just kind of came through, you would you would try and get in and see. But Cooley High was, you know, it was just uh it was almost like, oh my God, what's this? This is dope. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is, Hey, and so it was that kind of like this. This is so. It was just such a connection that um, that you feel when it's like you see. Oh, there, there's my life mm-hmm. in a way, you know, kind of up on the screen. Um, were you were you kind of a dirtbag like preacher? <laughs> like, He's kind oh, of a dirtbag. I, I don't. Th- <laughs> I don't think I had that quality. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. I think for me, it was more the nerdiness and the kind of like, yeah, yeah, he's a follow. He was a follower mm-hmm. and and he was trying to emulate, 
you know, if he could be as cool as Cochise. Yeah, his Lothario was, friend Cochise. Yes, you know, and he just wasn't. And um, yeah, that I think that's that's that those were my connections to uh to preach. <laughs> Did you now like I there's there's a scene in the bathroom where his teacher kind of confronts him and he's like, You read history books for fun, you read poetry for fun, and you're like a, generally a, a poor student. Like I, you know, I I see so many kids come through here that I'm just trying to get them graduated. So when I see someone who actually is a learner and has so much potential in them, I, I want them to do something with it. And he asks him, he's like, what do you want to do? And the teacher kind of gets exasperated with him when he says, like, I want to live forever. I, I don't understand you, Jackson. You read poetry books and history books for fun. And you make the worst grades in two states. You didn't even try to make up the midterm you missed. Don't you want to graduate? Don't much matter. Oh, man. For 10 years, man, I've been pushing kids through this school just so that when they applied for a job, they could write high school graduate on their job application. That's why when I find a guy who has potential, I hate to see him keep messing up. Son, what is it you want? Huh? With your brains, you can have it. Whatever it is, man, knowledge will get it for you. Don't you want something? I want to live forever. Because he wants to be a screenwriter. He wants to come out to Hollywood and see his name up on, you know, up in lights kind of thing. And when did you, because I you I think you went to college, in, I think it was in New Orleans before you transferred over to USC. And I think it, you yeah. made an important note like that you've talked about with coming to USC. At the time when you went, this wasn't like the beloved industry baby that the USC cinematic, the school of cinematic arts is now no, with no. like celebrities on the sidelines of, of Trojan football games right. and like yeah. huge endowments from all these names you recognize. Like you came out to USC when it was like a film school in Los Angeles. Yeah, it, barely that, if we, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say. I mean, it was um, I think when I came out and, and I wasn't in the film school, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to be. So, yeah, my my journey as a performer, writer, screenwriter, filmmaker, whatever, um, out of high school to Loyola, I knew that I wanted to do something in TV. And Loyola University in New Orleans had at the time a decent kind of decent kind of tv film thing <laughs> they actually had a tv studio mm. with a three camera setup and you could you know do a three camera show and you know you made little films and stuff like that but i knew also that i i was a i was into performing i did some shows down there but i, I and i was still doing stand-up but i'm like i gotta get out to los angeles so <laughs> i transferred to usc assuming that usc's television program film program was going to be so far su superior now the film side probably was uh -huh. i mean even though i think they only took like five or six students a year it was a very small wow. enrollment there they were in the rotc building on the edge of campus <laughs> wow these beautiful structures that they have now uh and the big thing then was um there was a sign over the door when you went to the ROTC building that they were in that said, I think reality ends here. That was the cool part of it. <laughs> but they only took six people. So I didn't get, I didn't, couldn't transfer into it. So they had a TV, kind of a TV journalism thing. Mm -hmm. And it was the crappiest piece of crappy <laughs> crap that you can imagine. 
um, nowhere near as nice as what they had at Loyola for television. Mm -hmm. So I ended up in kind of, I, I, I ended up with three degrees out of USC, odd, oddly enough, uh, 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 acting, uh, philosophy of religion and journalism, public relations is mm -hmm. what I ended up with these three kind of meaningless degrees. <laughs> As somebody who holds a journalism degree, I salute you. Yeah, right. But that was kind of like my weird, you know, route uh, through college. And in terms of filmmaking, it, it was weird that my producer on uh, both Fear of a Black and Tales from the Hood, he was at USC when I was there. I oh. did not know him, uh, Darren Scott. And uh, he was a chemical engineering major. I was, uh, if you had asked me at wow, the time. Wow, you guys are bringing just, all uh, kinds of different life experience into this job. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, if you had asked me, I just said I was philosophy of religion. But we were, we didn't know each other. And then after I graduated, um, uh, and I was, I, had, I guess I had done, I was writing uh, my kind of Black Big Chill thing called The Other Class. And there was a kid that I went to high school with named uh, Courtney Joyner, who he's written some scripts. Mm. Uh, anyhow, he's like, oh, you should show your script to Darren Scott because Darren helped produce um, From a Whisper to a Scream or The Offspring. It has two titles, okay. um, which I think might be where The Offspring got their name from. I'm not sure which came <laughs> first, that, that, that thing, the band. Um, but anyhow, so I'm then... I meet Darren probably maybe four or five years after uh, after USC. So USC kind of helped me <laughs> help my uh, filmmaking career some. But yeah, when I went there, there was no Spielberg, there was no Lucas, there was no sound stages. Um, it, it was there was nothing mm -hmm. really. Uh, they, 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 I think they had some cameras over there, but they wouldn't let me see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now the SCA and Annenberg are like two of the most noteworthy colleges on the USC campus. Yeah, they're just yeah. a shade, a shade on the early side. A couple years early. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's a through line. Like you grow up going to going to the movies, not an uncommon experience, like going just like, hey, whatever's at the movies is what we're seeing because that's how you watch movies. And you go cram in three in a day and then you come out and you do you do bad kung fu on the street or you like finger yep. guns <laughs> shoot at your friends because you just saw a Western. And then like you go off to college and you're like, well, I'm interested in this one thing, but along the way, I'm going to be a philosophy of religion, a public relations and uh, a, like a, a journalism major. And then like coming into your career, like what we touched on in the beginning, like the breadth of kind of different things that you've done. I feel like what I'm seeing from like your teenage years to your college years, what we're talking about now and like your, your accumulative outcome, you just sort of follow the most interesting path. Like you, you like, it doesn't seem like, well, I've always done this one thing. So I should keep doing this one thing. And Cause you, there is certainly a joy in being pigeonholed because boy, if people want to keep coming to you for the same thing and you get like better shots to kind of like refine yeah. your, your one little niche, but you're a Renaissance man. Oh, well, uh, okay. If that's <laughs> you're a Renaissance you think. man. Um, <laughs> yeah, but sure. I'll take that. I would say that the, through line for me for most of the things i do um 
maybe a Christmas movie here or there <laughs> being the exception um, <laughs> is the stories that I am interested in telling and the things that happen in them there. That's what kind of connects them. There's mm. usually even in 57 seconds, the one that I, we just, um, uh, it's just coming out with uh, Morgan Freeman and Josh Hutcherson there. Mm -hmm. There's though it's a sci-fi kind of back in time uh, travel thing. Uh, there's there's some important uh, stuff that actually connects to what's going on in society mm -hmm. in terms of uh, drug use, in terms of how we deal with technology and AI, mm -hmm. um, and just a morality thing in, in, in terms of, and, and that's something that I'm always interested in, that it's like the tug between, it's good and evil, but it's good and evil within you. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Um, how how you deal with yourself in the world, less than you know. Here's a hero, and he's perfect. Yeah. And there's a villain. I'm really interested in in how the fights that uh, you know we have with ourselves in terms of how we how we deal with our our others, the other people out there. With that being a thread that we can pull through your career. From, you know, beginning to current, you've obviously, you, you've gotten older and you've, you've become very, very experienced. Do you find that your approach to untangling those knots as a storyteller has changed? Like over time as you've learned lessons, you're like, you know, I've really learned that, you know, this is how I want to dig into interiority. Or are you like, no, I've really like... I've had a method since I started this career, since I was younger, and it's really seen me through. Like, how has your approach to that sort of like the solving of the problems as, as a, in, in a narrative sense, has that stayed mm -hmm. at its core similar or have you grown a lot in that process? It's a tough one because I, I think what's difficult about that is what excites me mm. and, and what interests me is the same. Okay. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like what what interests me and in how people relate and, you know, social relations, politics, um, uh, religion, mm -hmm. uh, ethnicity, all of those things have always been important to me and still are and, and, and kind of inform a lot of the stories that I, you know, am personally passionate about. I think what has changed is my understanding of how to use the medium better you know so yeah. you which each with each film with each script you you go oh uh, that that's a better way to you know get the emotion that i want or get across the idea uh that i'd like to get across here or you learn a better way to work with your actors a mm -hmm. uh, better way to communicate with them um and so becoming more technically uh, aware or better understanding how to use the, sh the, the storytelling techniques to get where you want to go, that's the, that's the big change. Mm -hmm. the pa the, what makes you want to do the work, the passion for doing the work is, mm -hmm. is kind of the same. You know, um, and I and I see that in a lot of really uh, a lot of filmmakers and storytellers that um, you know, I admire. Mm -hmm. uh, 
maybe admire, you know, I'll, I'll say names and say and understand I'm talking about their art and not <laughs> them as a human being. Sure. Because, so, <laughs> you know, that there's a lot of crossing between the artist versus the the artist's life now. Uh -huh. So if I you know, if I say that I see that and like if you watch a Woody Allen film, he's always dealing with the same issues yeah, that, in yeah, different that's ways. Just over inarguably over. true, yes. Inarguably true. Or Scorsese, most of his things are dealing with this kind of Italian mm -hmm. uh, outlook, a, 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 a sometimes gangstery thing. But he, you know, the, these these really great artists um, tend to mine the same areas mm -hmm. because it's what they're really passionate about. Yeah, um, and I, I think I'm uh, passionate about the same shit. <laughs> What that? <laughs> uh, but I hopefully am learning how to display that mm -hmm. in a in a in a better way. Well, that like now that we put that coda on your life, I think that that's a great place to conclude for us. Rusty, okay. thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to talk to me today. I've been hoping to get to talk to you for a very long time, so this is very nice. It was it was a lot of fun. You've got a lot of knowledge, so it's uh, <laughs> it's been it's been more fun than most of the interviews. Yes, that is what we seek to do. We yes, seek to really be, be a highlight of your press day, Rusty. Yeah, that was really good. Thank you. What a delight to talk with Rusty Cundiff at last. This has been at least a year in the making, I'm going to say. His new film, 57 Seconds, is available to rent on most streaming platforms, and several of Rusty's most well-known films are streaming on Tubi, Fear of a Black Hat, and the first two Tales from the Hood movies. You know, no big deal. Me and Rusty just both with movies on the same streaming platform. That's fine. You can watch Give Me an A and Tales from a Hood back-to-back. -back. You can do that. That's an option you have. Um, and now that very special, very special, one quick thing before I go... It's the 100th episode, you guys. We've done it. Can you believe it's been two years of the Feeling Seen podcast? It's been two years. We started this show with like, like real early on. We like dropped you a Susan Orlean episode for you guys practically on Thanksgiving. Um, one of my favorite episodes ever, the Isabel Thurman episode came shortly after that. Still one of my personal all-timers since then. Oh God, we've talked to Paul Feig about uh, alien movies, sci-fi, Close Encounters, The Third Kind. We've talked to Chris Landon about Mommy Dearest and his life growing up as an industry child. We've talked to Eureka O'Hara about Never Been Kissed. Uh, we've covered movies like Get Out and Now and Then and Harry Potter. I mean, we've got a, a recent, I'm going to call it instant classic, Cameron Esposito talking about Bound, Emma Seligman, who I've been dying to talk to for years now since Shiva Baby come out to talk about my, my all-timer, Jennifer's body, uh, Carter Smith coming on talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, the gay one of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, Jessica St. Clair, Jessica St. Clair talking about best friends on screen with professional best friend to so many awesome ladies, including the awesome Lennon Parham, Jessica St. Clair, um, I could just keep listing people. I could just keep saying names. Raul Castillo, Manuel Bencourt. Like, I could just keep listing off names and it would end up as a murderer's row 
of conversations that involved a lot of laughing, a little bit of crying, so much wonderful, appreciated, generous sharing by the co-hosts that we have on the show. I love doing it. I love doing the show. I love having these conversations. I love seeing where they lead us, having my research and my suppositions before I go into these talks and then discovering actually while they're happening where they're going to go in progress. It's never any less cool. Um, So happy 100 to me. Happy 100 to you. Tell your friends, tell your friends to tell friends and stick with us because, you know, I think we've, we've only got an even better, brighter future ahead of us, much like you all out there, listeners, uh, on the Feeling Scene pod and here on the Maximum Fun Network. Go share, go listen to some back episodes. Go share some back episodes, Um, because that's our show. Let's all reminisce and get weepy-eyed with our favorite Feeling Scenes. Uh, And you can follow us on Twitter, in the meantime, at Feeling Scene pod, or send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorkru on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Eben. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Shouts out to 100 episodes, Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.